What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on the mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. And in the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener and thought leaders, to explore what needs to get done. Joining me today in the Trusted Web podcast is Scott Kraft, Managing Editor at the LA Times. The Los Angeles Times is the largest metropolitan daily newspaper in the US with a weekly audience north of four and a half million readers and visitors. The Pulitzer Prize winning Times has been covering uh, Southern California for more than 139 years. During more than three decades at the time, Scott Kraft has been a national and foreign correspondent, as well as a national editor and deputy managing editor news. As national editor, he directed work that won four Pulitzer Prizes. Today, Scott oversees the newsroom, including column one, enterprise, investigations, and sports. Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you. Scott, to start things off, how would you describe the state of media and journalism today? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> I guess I'd break it down a couple of ways. Um, there are many positives out there. Some We're seeing some of the finest journalism that's ever been done. Um, certainly the finest journalism I've seen in my career. Traditional investigative work um, is consistently at a very high level. Um, we're also becoming faster and, uh, and more responsible on breaking news. Uh, and we're also looking into now something we didn't really do so much in the past, which was look at information that's immediately useful to people. Um, and, and also news organizations are using an array of uh, new tools online to tell stories in much more compelling ways. Uh, that has given us a real opportunity to connect with readers that we didn't have on just the printed page. And that's, in fact, where a lot of the hiring that's going on in journalism, which has been shedding a lot of jobs, but the hiring that is going on is definitely in the in with designers, engineers, and so on. So that audience is huge and growing, and we're no, limit, no longer limited by, you know, uh, where our trucks can carry a print newspaper. Our audience is instantly uh, there for us online. Of course, there are challenges, as you know. The business model is challenged. Um, persuading readers to value high-quality journalism enough to pay for it uh, has been a big challenge for us. And small papers in particular have been hit very hard with budget cuts, which have robbed them of reporting power and created a cycle uh, where there's less content and that leads to fewer people willing to pay, which leads to less content. Uh, and also less watchdog journalism, uh, you know, keeping an eye on public officials who are you know, using our tax dollars. So I think that's kind of how I see the state of the uh, state of media today. The business model is at risk. Are, are you worried about uh, small newspapers totally disappearing over the coming years? I am very worried about it. I think all of us are worried about it. The papers that, you know, the the ownership structure of newspapers has has been very important 
in that area. I mean, we are fortunate to um, be owned by a private individual uh, person from Los Angeles who cares about Los Angeles, and that has been uh, great for us. But many other newspapers are getting gobbled up into bigger corporations um, that uh, you know are, are using the idea of economies of scale, uh, which makes sense, uh, except that the end result is less good journalism, less paying attention to what city council, county uh, board of supervisors, the state, uh, even national politicians are doing, which I think is you know bad for all of us. It's wonderful to see that you're such loyal to one organization. You work at the LA Times for over 30 years. How has the rise of misinformation and dis disinformation change the way you work in the newsroom what what has changed from your perspective over the last decades you're totally right it has it has changed how it has changed how we do things it's also you just feel like the landscape is constantly moving on you and there is a tsunami of misinformation and disinformation which are distinct very, very distinct things uh, we have um, we're really constantly working to, you know, address uh, particularly misinformation. Uh, we devote, you know, we should devote more people, but, but almost every one of our reporters has to address that as part of their beat because uh, it's just so easy to disseminate uh, bad, in, bad information uh, on purpose or uh, unwittingly. Um, And so we have to actually, it's really became, it's really become a, a challenge for us because we have to look at everything that's out there, the tsunami of misinformation, disinformation, and decide where do we, what do we address? Um, do we, you know, things that are, that really affect everybody's lives, for example, you know, um, Is the vaccine dangerous? Are those side effects dangerous? Who can who can get it? Is it effective? Was it was it produced too quickly? That's a, that's out there. Those are sorts of things we are definitely addressing. We've actually created what we call a utility desk, uh, specifically to you know to a, to provide you know the things that people need to know to sort of navigate um, all of that. Uh, misinformation out there or just just un just uncertainty a lot of it isn't uh mean-spirited um the disinformation part is a little harder because as we found in 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 our in our country with uh president trump and his uh, willingness to just say things that were not true and also the cons the conspiracy theorist folks uh in the country who believe things that are not even, I mean, we're, we are not even, uh, you know, close to accurate. And so how do we address that? Do we do, we do a, a question and answer format on is Hillary Clinton running a child sex ring? I mean, we don't, we just, you know, it's, it's almost too ridiculous to have to address. But what has changed is that, you, you know, earlier in my career, uh, there were still conspiracy theories out there. People believed crazy stuff, but it wasn't, but 
but it wasn't so easy to spread that and to get sort of a wide audience for it. And you have, uh, you know, the beauty of the internet has been that you have, you can find communities of interest. You and I are able to talk today uh, uh, through the magic of that. And it really is magical. You know, if you like, you know, one particular type of chess, you can find, you know, thousands of people who agree with, who uh, have the same passion. So that's been a good thing, but it also has, uh, it also has led to uh, a much easier uh, pathway for disinformation or misinformation to spread. Is there uh, anything you mentioned, the utility desk, is there anything specific that you changed over the last decade in the distribution of content to gain more trust? I mean, we're, we're doing a couple of things on the margins, which I think can be helpful. I think one thing about the distribution, the way news is distributed today is that it, it is much more personal. It can be much more personal. So we have made efforts at the times to, and every major newspaper has done this too, news organization, to kind of more personal, in a way, personalize who we are. I mean, because one of the big questions about journalism today and really all institutions is the lack of trust. Uh, people don't trust in institutions anymore. And confidence, confidence in institutions is really at a low point. And so one thing we're trying to do is pull back the veil on ourselves. Who are we? Who are our reporters? Short biographies of reporters now accompany our stories. We engage in, uh, you know, we put our reporters out there to answer questions. Um, and and we put them, you know, we, you know, pre-pandemic and, and we're, we've resumed, we've had, we've done these virtually and now we'll resume them in person probably soon events where our reporters are out there answering questions about why, why we do what we do. Um, and even on the opinion side, you know, the editorial writers have had dialogue with readers, you know, uh, telling them things like, you know, we don't actually, you know, when we take a vote and decide where the paper will stand on a particular issue, we don't necessarily all agree. And I think that all of these sorts of things, there's a kind of, it, add, it, it, shows that, you know, we're, uh, I don't know if we're humble, but we have humility and we have, and we do really want to have a conversation with readers in a way that we really haven't had in the past. So we're hoping that that, hoping that that will help. Is there a shift going to more accountability taken on a journalist level? If you say, hey, we, we, we add the bios on a per journalist basis, is that a shift that's going on? Well, it's a good question. I mean, I've thought, I think we've always been internally accountable. We've always, um, I mean, the media you can trust that is really trying to get the, the, store, the story uh, and in all its elements, I think has always been very quick to admit mistakes, to you know issue corrections, to say when they've messed up. Um, and I think so. I think we're just making that uh, uh, kind of a more public, uh, uh, doing it a little bit more publicly, and also showing that we're you know we're like human beings too. Uh, you know we're not you know we're not part of some elite. Or, or some deep state, uh, we are just people who have come to this profession because we really want 
to tell the truth and not, you know, not not a truth that we come up with ourselves, but to really do the research and reporting necessary to come up with what the story is. And I think it's fine, for example, to uh, to admit to readers that we might go into reporting a story. If I'm as, as a reporter, I might go into reporting a story with an idea of what it what it would uh, say. Uh, and when I report it out, I find out, oh, it's actually not that at all. Uh, I, I, I had a misconception and a willingness to kind of roll with that and, and to be honest with readers that, you know, we aren't people who don't have opinions, but we really are committed to trying to get the story right and to tell it with all the nuance uh, that it deserves. And um, so I think that's, I think, I think we've made, you know, I feel like we've made some progress there. I think the one, the one thing, the one challenge we have is we, especially I think traditional print newspapers have, is that they tended all over the, all over this country anyway, they tended to, they, they came about, and the whole business model was really about reaching readers who are wider, more wealthier uh, than are than the really the people who live in in our regions, and 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 that was because you know advertisers wanted those eyeballs and um, and it and 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 those were also at that time more of the elite running running things businesses and even. Uh, in, in politics, what our big challenge really now is to uh, is to kind of reflect the diversity of our community and and to reach readers who we who really haven't found anything in us in the past and in, in what we produce in our content that speaks to them. Uh, and it's not just writing about them per se, but it's really looking at things uh, in such a way that it increases this sense that a reader has that we are essential to their lives. They can't really live their lives without um, reading us. And, and a lot of that is diverse. You know, it begins with diversifying the newsroom. We have a very diverse newsroom, but it needs to be more diverse because it not, does not fully reflect our, the community where we are in. Looking at the newsrooms, or there are experiments going on in uh, the, ne the Netherlands currently using uh, open source technology, blockchain technology to bring transparency and accountability or make that verifiable for the readers throughout the whole chain of information. So starting at the press agency until the news outlet, where does news come from? Is that, and I saw that you worked uh, be, before the times you worked at the Associated Press. They are doing a lot of experiments today with new data licensing models uh, with blockchain technology. Is that something that you can see moving the space forward, the space of accountability, transparency, and journalism? I definitely can see uh, that that is you know, a future we need to explore more. And when it comes to accountability journalism, we are we are finding that um, well, first of all, a lot of accountability journalism today really is 
based on data and data searches and um, you know obtaining publicly available data and trying to uh, tell something about you know the human condition, tell something about what is happening in our communities. And I do think it's very important to um, when we do that to make that available to our uh, you know to the readers so that they can look at it and kind of fact you know they can check us if you will or sometimes we find that when we make that available to readers they find stories that we didn't even find so i think yeah i think we're i think we are definitely heading much more toward a world in which you know the readers will for, first of all, the readers demand, well, why, how can you say that? Where is the data to show that? So they need to see that. And in the past, we would not want to spend, you know, pages of print space for something that really didn't appeal to that many readers. Plus, it's hard to do in print and it's much easier to do online. Um, so we are definitely leaning, leaning toward that. And I think we can do more. What do you expect? A last question, but it's a broad one. How do you see the space of publishing evolve over the, let's say the coming uh, five years or to the end of the decade. And maybe you can zoom in a bit on distribution, uh, how that will work with the uh, tech platforms. Well, I wish I knew exactly how it would work with tech platforms. <laughs> um, right now, as you know, the, you know, there is a feeling among content creators that the tech platforms or the the, the the platforms that are using news they're not you know they are in some cases they are paying for it uh or or at least reimbursing us some for that uh which is great i think we haven't really seen how that is going to um to you know play out we we here are looking for um well, first of all, print, we, we do think that will decline, continue its decline, and it probably won't go away. We'll probably have newspapers delivered. <clears throat> I don't know about delivered to people's doors. It may be we have newspapers now online where this is the actual newspaper. Um, I think there is a there is for a long time, there's going to be a community of readers that would like that. But we also are need to pursue um, more digital subscriptions ourselves and not to rely necessarily on the tech platforms but in a way to become our own plat well to be our own platform and to be a platform that at least readers in our uh, readers who care about in california but also care about california which is a you know global audience um are willing to pay pay for are willing to subscribe to um and we've had we feel like we've had a lot of success in, in doing that and uh, and I think you know, and, and we've and we're working on every aspect of that to make it better. Not just creating better content, but also all the things kind of behind the scenes in terms of um, you know on the business side, figuring out how to make the process of subscribing and resubscribing and uh, much more you know seamless and much more um, much easier to do to do. Um, and I think we also, though, need to know, we need to, you know, when we do get 
digital subscribers, we need to make sure that we continue to serve their needs and their interests. Um, when it comes, we do have, uh, you know, we have partnerships ar around, um, you know, with, with, with tech companies. We have uh, partnerships with a lot of, there are a lot of nonprofits doing great investigative work, uh, which we have uh, eagerly uh, partnered with. And so that, so I, I see that continuing. I see that continuing. Before we close off, are there, uh, yeah, I'm very thankful for all the insights uh, you've showed and uh, you've shared in the show. Um, are there any closing thoughts from your end or a special direction you want to people, uh, yeah, to, to see if they want to learn more? I think I would say that, you know, this is a challenging time for journalists everywhere. And I think it's, and it's a challenging time for readers, for our audiences be, to, to kind of find out what is the truth. And I would just always urge people to anyone, you know, wanting to, to anyone wanting to know what is really happening or is concerned about something they've heard to, you know, seek out uh, the many fact-checking uh, organizations that have sprung up and are doing very valuable work and to seek out, you know, trusted news sources, uh, you know, before passing on information that, you know, maybe sounds, sounds too good or too bad to be true. And often it is. Scott, thanks so much for uh, being a guest. I uh, really enjoyed this episode. Thanks. Thank you. I did too. Thanks so much for having me. It is well known that today the public trust into media organizations is low and therefore we've surveyed a global audience to better understand what publishers can do to increase trust with their audience. We've released these findings in our fresh report called Trust in Publishing 2021. You find the report, the show notes of this episode, and many other valuable resources at thetrustedweb.org/podcast. Once again, thetrustedweb.org/podcast. Thank you for listening and therefore being part of the Trusted Web journey. And let's build the Trusted Web together.